Hello, hey, hi. This is Sasha Shao, and you're listening to Dear Seekers, a podcast where I get to travel to an intriguing woman's home and sit down to have an honest conversation around just being a working progress. Before we introduce today's guest, I would really appreciate it if you can head to Apple Podcast to leave us a review or comment, because that would really help us to be more discoverable, so more women can find us and to hear these stories put together. All right, appreciate it. And、uh, we are also now available on Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, pretty much any podcast app you are currently into. Today's guest is Arden Ray. Even if her name doesn't ring a bell, her photos, however, have probably been in front of you at some point. Whether it is through her editorials with the New York Times or the photo series she did for Urban Outfitters, once you've seen her photos, it's hard to ignore. The first time I met Arden in person was actually at another dear seeker Claudia Day's book launch at the Glassstone Hotel. But I definitely knew of her before that. I knew she's very good at capturing the essence of human connections and creating that intimacy through her lens, like let's say a cowboy from Texas or a woman in her lingerie. They may seem like they have nothing in common, or you may have nothing in common with any of them, but her photos somehow can create this emotional connection, like somehow you know them from somewhere, which is super powerful, right? And during our photo shoot, Arden told me she is a scorpion, so she's very good at getting something out of someone without having to reveal herself. That's definitely a very good superpower to have. I really enjoyed our chat, and I really hope you will enjoy listening. Let's have some fun. First of all, thank you so much for saying yes. I know we've been trying to make this work for so many times now, and then finally we're here sitting in your. What would you call this? Like a TV living room slash your kitchen? Yeah, <laughs> slash my entire apartment. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really quiet. As we talk about like very comforting, and it feels like a home. I'm、yeah. glad. Good.、Um, so it's kind of interesting because as soon as we walked in, I I told you even though we met really briefly、mm-hmm. at Claudia, another Dear Seekers、um, book launch, and then that was like really quick. We、yeah. had like exchange conversation. Maybe I wouldn't even call it conversation. Maybe like how are you? Nice to meet you. Yeah. And bye, kind of thing. So I will count this as our first meeting each other. Yeah, I think that's right. That <laughs> yeah. Seems fair. And then the reason I, I brought it up was because in an Kind of like a write-up you talk about for one of your projects, Golden Longsome.、Mm-hmm. Um, you say there is a magic in the first few hours of knowing someone, or first experience of a new place. Yeah. So tell me more.、Uh, why there's a magic there? I think that there is a.、Um, I might have even said this as well in that same write-up, but it's something I stand by that I think there's generosity to a first impression.、Mm-hmm. That you know the first time. You look at someone, or you talk to them. The first time you see a new landscape you've never seen before, or enter a space you've never been in before, there's an immediate sense of magic that comes from the not knowing, and comes from just being able to really look at someone without putting anything on it.、Um, you don't have a past history you're bringing to that. You don't have preconceived notions potentially. 
And there's something in that that I really love, I think, because it's the purest form of just looking and experiencing Mm. without any reference or any uh, experience and memories yeah and i i really cherish that it's kind of like a liminal state you know before someone becomes part of your world or a place becomes part of your geography of of what your experiences have been i i really love that time uh how is the experience right now (laughs) (laughs) pretty good pretty good yeah doing great (laughs) Um, so I was like doing some research and then reading about a lot of interviews you've done mm. with um, publications or brands. And then it seems there's a people and places, the two words, almost like a keyword keep <laughs> popping up. So I wonder why those two things are really important. I mean, they are kind of like the elements of our daily life. But to you as a photographer, why those two things are really important? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, both are the key elements of storytelling people Mm -hmm. and places. And everything that I am drawn to and all of my work is really rooted in storytelling. So Mm -hmm. whether it's just a portrait or whether it's a series that I'm doing or, you know, even a lookbook for a brand, it should be a story that I'm telling with the images. And I also believe that carries over into other art forms too, like other things that I like to kind of express myself creatively with. It's always about storytelling. Everything should be, I think even an outfit can be storytelling. It's kind of who is the character you decide to be that day? What do you want to project to the world? What are the pieces that I'm wearing and what do they remind me of? And what is being evoked in the way that something is put together? Or, you know, in a room, like I just finished a big renovation project that was the first time I've ever done anything like that. And I thought about storytelling. It's also just composing as much as you might do in a photograph. Mm. Mm-hmm. So growing up, were there any people or places that left us some significant mark in your childhood? Oh, yeah, huge. Huge tons. Um, I mean, people, so many, so many influential people for sure. Places, uh, I grew up in Toronto. I grew up in the east end of Toronto in a neighborhood called The Beaches that's kind of like a small town within the city. It's Mm -hmm. a really insular community that's really inconvenient to get in or out of. And so a lot of people stay there and Mm -hmm. it, it functions like a town. But in terms of places, I think for what you certainly can see flow through to my work now, you know, as an adult with a practice, an art practice, my parents used to take me to the south of the U.S., the American South, when I was a kid. Um, and my mom, my entire childhood, was a novelist. And most of her books take place in the American South. And it's a landscape that she's always been fascinated with and a culture that she's been fascinated by. And I think growing up with that around me in such a strong way, then as I started to seek out my own inspiration and my own landscapes, it's always flowed through and it's become something that now I work with so much in a a landscape and a region that I really am inspired by and fascinated endlessly by all of its contradictions and hypocrisies and mysteries and gothic Mm -hmm. beauty and all of it. What kind of things your mom has shared with you? Do you still remember some maybe popping up into your head right now that really significantly shaping some perspective? Yeah. I mean, something that she, you know, she always said that, um, her books were really about the kindness of strangers. And that's something that I draw on and think of. And then I think relates back to what you were asking me about that idea of the generosity of a first impression. There's something in that too, with a stranger, you know, in that moment, how you can really connect with somebody that you don't know, Mm. and who there's no pre-established relationship with, Um, I think that's a powerful concept and it's something I really value is the capacity to be a stranger also that that 
potential for anonymity and to be in, you know, far away other places where people don't know me is something I really, I really cherish. So I guess, I guess that idea of the kindness of strangers is something that I've held on to. But she also, I mean, I talk to my mom every day and she's just like the wisest woman in the world. So like a hundred thousand things that I can't think of now. (laughs) But that, that comes to mind. The other thing. What did she tell you most recently? I mean, she like opened up your mind even wider. And I feel like her, her like biggest recurring piece of advice that I get all the time in so many different situations is she always will say, you can make it all true and you can make it undo, which Mm -hmm. I think is a Cat Stevens lyric. (laughs) Um, What does that mean? Well, it's just, you know, anything you want in your life, you know, you can make it all true. And then if you don't want it anymore, you can make it undo. And it's just this kind of sense of ultimate freedom that sometimes we lose sight of. And that's so valuable to be reminded of when you're feeling stuck or you're feeling bored or not inspired or not feeling confident about something. It just kind of does sum it up. But I feel like I'm always shilling that to my friends too. That line is such a good one. In the interview you did with Urban Outfitters, you talk about you like the practice of looking closely. Mm-hmm. And uh, that kind of reminds me of a quote from a Hungarian war photographer and photojournalist. His name is Robert Kapa. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. he said, if your pictures aren't good enough, you are not close enough. Hmm. So that kind of tied back to what you also talk about, the practice of looking closely. What are you looking? Like, <laughs> I'm sure that not just talking about like physical proximity. Definitely there's a more out there. I think there's something that can happen that I don't know how to describe it. I don't know if I have words for it, but it's sort of like getting in the zone when I'm shooting or when I'm about to be shooting. That's sort of like having super sensory feelers all over my body. That's like, I'm just noticing everything. And that's what I mean by that. I can go into this state, and I think a lot of photographers do this, and probably artists of different mediums. I don't know. Writers probably have this. But just this sense of really, really, really seeing. So noticing texture and color and light and how things are moving and how people's faces are moving. And it's such a good feeling. I used to have it when I was a teenager, before I started taking pictures, before I knew I could do it that way. I would go and sit on the beach and write down in a notebook all of the things I was seeing and try and visually describe them. And then it wasn't until later that I was like, oh, I could actually just take a picture of that thing that I'm writing down with words. But it's the same experience of just but trying to really... that's an interesting yeah. kind of like creative process because I know yeah. photographers, how they prepare themselves for that either is coming out with like some mood board mm. visually or they were sketch some visual component to it. And from writing to photographing, that's almost like two mediums a little bit interesting to come from and to. I still always will do that. I Any notes that I make myself for, for a shoot, I will never sketch. And I, I very rarely actually rely on a mood board. Sometimes I'll have to make one for a client to try and communicate what I'm saying. But or what I'm planning, but yeah, for so myself. Write a poem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, does this, this is- make sense to you? Do you know what I'm gonna do? Do you sign off on this? Show this to your client. They're <laughs> um, like, ah, they're like, we can't work with her. She's insane. Um, <laughs> but for myself, I will make all of my notes in writing, absolutely, and I'll describe what an image looks like, and that's much more evocative for me than if I. I mean, I'm not a good drawer, so mm-hmm, if I tried to sketch it, it would be very sad. <laughs> So I'm not sure this part we can share, but you're mm-hmm. actually going to photograph a filmmaker mm-hmm. this afternoon mm-hmm. from New York Times. Mm-hmm. So have you met this person yet? No. no so no. again, a stranger. Yeah. <laughs> um, so are you going to write something in your head that how you're going to pursue this shoot? Or today this is going to be different? 
It depends on the kind of shoot if I do that or not. So for this, I mean, I think this is going to have to be a situation as many portrait shoots are, especially editorial portrait shoots where, you know, you're given a person, a place and a time and you just go. I mean, I have a vague preconceived notion of the rough parameters of what this will entail. So I know I'm using available light. So I know that I'm going to be reliant on either a window or taking this person outside. But beyond that, I don't know what the space looks like. I don't know what they're going to be wearing. I don't know what mood everybody's going to be in. So I can't really plan that far ahead. I have to just go and react. Mm -hmm. And that's often the situation. They just go into a space and see what you have and make it work. Just figure it out as you go. And that's that's the fun of it too, for sure. If it was all pre-planned, it wouldn't like that. Some photographers do shoot that way. You know, there's somebody who will do a pre-orchestrated set you know, and and have everything be exactly styled and pre-lit and bring somebody in and just put them in the scene, mm. which is amazing. But that's almost like painting in my mind. It's it's a different thing, which is really cool that the medium can expand that far. But I'm certainly much more reactionary. Mm. And I like working with the environment that I'm in. That's kind of tied back to the honesty and intimacy mm-hmm. we talk about. And it's walked a line between kind of documenting the photo, the moments, the subjects, everything in there, or the surroundings. But at the same time, post-editing to bring some like more beauty into mm-hmm. it. So how do you walk that line between those two? Like, how do I make sure I'm not lying? Or, or what is that? <laughs> <laughs> you, well, you make it so straightforward. Yeah. So it's like, I know like some photos are heavily editing, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, they make it really almost a surreal. That's a different kind of like art form. But for your photos, how much do you leave? How much right. you left, like left the stuff in there? How much you added more? I, it's a fine balance, and it's a really interesting question. Um, I think that a rule of thumb I go by is that I don't want a moment to appear in the image just exactly as it was in real life, as it happened. I want it to be greater in the image than it was actually being there. Mm-hmm. I want there to be some sense of a greater beauty perhaps like a greater mood, a greater sense of importance to come across in that image. But that is a fine line to walk to make sure that with that, it is still rooted in the truth. And so I don't do a lot of retouching, hardly at all. You know, I don't do a lot of crazy post-production work. It's, It's pretty basic for me. So it's really in the way that I shoot, I want that to come through. And I want that sense of an elevated... An elevation. Yeah, I want it to be elevated mm-hmm. from what it was actually just being there. What are the kind of interesting shoes you have done that kind of either you learn something about yourself, about that person kind of remind you of something about yourself? I wonder any shoes like that. Oh, remind me about myself. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about that off the top of my head, but in terms of like shoots where I learn something and interesting shoots... I Something that was a really amazing opportunity was I got a really fascinating assignment from the New York Times for this section that they have called Surfacing, which mm-hmm. I love, that basically visually tells the stories of different subcultures around the world. And so the assignment I was given was to work with this really wonderful writer, Alice, who I hadn't met before. And we traveled to a few hours outside of L.A., There's a festival called Grindfest that happens once a year. And it's basically a bunch of people who identify as part of sort of like a medical punk is how the Times describe it. 
but it's people who do self body modification and biohacking. And so they'll do things like install bioluminescent implants or magnets under their skin. They all know each other from the internet for the most part. And once a year, they'll all come to this guy's house in the desert outside of LA (laughs) and everybody camps. And so there's people like sleeping under tables or on sofas or in their cars or in a tent outside all over this property. And for a weekend, they all get together and these people who share the similar interest and do these surgeries, you know, on site in this guy's garage in a makeshift laboratory. Yeah. But it was such a cool experience because the writer and I went out and just basically hung out with everybody for the weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, And everybody was so nice and so welcoming. Mm -hmm. And what was really awesome about that, that I was so grateful for the experience to get to cover, was that I'd seen photographs of this festival from years before and seeing it on paper, you know, it sounded terrifying and it sounded like it was really – just kind of dark and potentially like bloody and gruesome and all those things when you picture people doing surgeries and implanting technology in their bodies and yeah. all this. And that was the way I'd certainly too. seen it covered. Exactly. You know, you picture like a flickering fluorescent light. Like, and, like a perfect recipe for a horror exactly, film. Exactly, exactly. And that was certainly the kind of coverage I'd seen of this community and of this event before looked like that. You know, it's like blue, bright flash, really stark, gritty, scary, lots of blood, bandages in the garbage can, whatever, scalpel blade. And so I wasn't sure what I was getting into, but obviously, you know, that's that's not the look of my work. And so that was why I was asked to go there to bring a different energy to it. And when I got there, it was like, this is actually kind of a family reunion. Mm. Like everybody's making vegan food for dinner together and all hanging out and chatting and sitting on the sofa. These like surgeries are super clean and well organized. Everybody's so friendly and loving. And this is everybody's summer camp family reunion. And so it was such an interesting experience in terms of the power of your lens as a photographer that you're always going to bring a perspective to it. It's not objective. Mm-hmm. It's never objective. And so going into that space, what I reacted to was that sense of community. And so you see my images and people are smiling and there's a golden light for the most part. And there's a warmth that comes through, mm-hmm. even if it's somebody doing a surgery, you know, or somebody showing me their fresh bandaged wound to the camera. It's not the same look. And it was just such an interesting experience in terms of you could take that and put whatever you wanted on it. And people are going to receive that as truth because photography is perceived to be objective, but it's not. Mm -hmm. It's so subjective. Mm -hmm. That's actually a very interesting point. That's something I also realized with journalism. Mm -hmm. Because when I went into... I. For the longest time, I want to be a journalist since I was little. And then my perspective about what journalism is or was at that time was about this like telling truth because you're a journalist. You dare to reflect what exactly happened. But the point is like whoever, as, as much as we can be not biased or through our own lens as literally as what you, through your work, yeah. through our perspective is how can you tell the story? The story is definitely going to bring that journalist's own lens and own Always. perspective into which angle you're going to take, which um, filter you're going to use. So those are going to tie back to that story you try to tell. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you feel a sense of like responsibility and some sort of like weight on your shoulder? Oh, it's huge. 
It's huge. It's you're taking somebody's image or mm-hmm. a place's image and and there is so much power in that because you get to decide, you know, in that moment of shooting how you're representing typically a person in my experience to the world. And and the sense that you're conveying of who that person is because photography is perceived as truth. Photography is perceived as being objective. And so that's that's a huge responsibility. And I mm-hmm. think about that very much. You know, am I conveying this person to seem strong, to seem intelligent, to seem beautiful? All of these things need to come across. And there's so much that's loaded in terms of visual language and the way somebody's body moves or the way someone's positioned. You know, mm-hmm. if, if I'm photographing, I, I typically photograph women more than men. In photographing a woman, it's really important to me that someone looks strong. And so there's a lot that happens that way in terms of body language and communicating a sense of strength. Why is that? I wonder why you have to, you almost feel this like longing to actually have to make this women look strong. That's a really good question. Why do I feel that responsibility? Um, I just would never want to make a woman seem weak Mm -hmm. because I think women aren't weak and that's not right. fair if someone's trusting me even because also often somebody comes into a shoot most people aren't used to having their picture taken and it's an intensely vulnerable position to be put in mm-hmm. and so if i'm taking any of that sense of trepidation or awkwardness that probably is there yeah. in that situation to begin with with the subject and that's what i'm showing as the result that's not okay mm-hmm. i don't think that's but fair but i'm really glad on like also find it very intriguing that you brought up the vulnerability part. Mm-hmm. I think that's another thing I recently come to come realization that strength does come from vulnerability. Mm. I think that's something myself included before, and I'm sure a lot of people don't understand that. It's way harder to be vulnerable than it is to be tough and put up a front because yeah. that's all walls. Yeah, yeah. You know, to actually expose yourself to people and to yeah. to trust and to be open in that way is so much scarier. Yeah. And so much braver and also so much better. Yeah. <laughs> like so much better for the world to just be that way. What kind of practice would you do when you actually photograph a person? Because I almost feel like when you photograph them, mm-hmm. you have to show your vulnerability as well for another person to be vulnerable. Totally. Isn't that kind of funny? Sometimes you have a girl's night uh, dinner and then everybody's like, oh, yeah, life is good. Life is good. Everything's great. <laughs> Um, and until one person break a story, oh, actually, you know what? It's not so great. This happened. And everybody started to pitch in telling their story. That's their, right. Their, what happened actually happened. Yeah, you, so le- think, you open yeah. up a space for yeah, people to be comfortable right. and be honest. Yeah, absolutely. I've often kind of thought about it that I think that so much of shooting portraits is hosting. Mm-hmm. In whatever space you're in, I really believe that, that it's quintessentially tied if you're going to be a good portraitist, you have to be a good host. And for me, what that means is, you know, I'm in control of the space and somebody's entering into that space to be in front of my camera, which mm-hmm. is inherently a scary, vulnerable state to be mm-hmm. in. And so I need to think about every element of how they're going to feel welcome and soften every edge that I possibly can. And so I need to greet them at the door. I need to offer them a glass of water if they want one. I need to have music playing. I need to have the lights in a way that's comfortable. I need to give them something comfortable to sit on. And usually I'll start seated and then move on to standing. You know, trying to think about just how do I make someone feel like they're safe 
because if they don't feel safe, then I'm never going to get a good picture of them. And that's sort of my responsibility of the give and take. I'm asking someone to give something to me that's a hard thing to give. And so I need to be respectful of that. And I need to honor that by trying to make that person feel respected and cared for in whatever way I can during that interaction. Tell me your your first camera. <laughs> I think that would be pretty interesting to any photographer. Oh, uh, I mean, I'm so not techie, actually. Like, I'm so not a gearhead at all mm-hmm. to, to my own detriment. My first camera that I really reliably liked that was my baby that I actually still have and I just brought back out a couple weeks ago for the first time in years is a Pentax K1000 35mm. I have so no it's idea. Like, I have no idea. I can show it to you. It's like an old... I mean, it's so beat up. The lens is like bunged in on one side. Um it's missing half the like leather cover that used to be around it. But it's just an old 35 millimeter mm-hmm. SLR that I got from an antique store. <laughs> it worked fine, but I got it from an antique store in Montreal when I was in university. And that was the first camera that I really started just like carrying with me everywhere I went, which was brutal because it weighs a million pounds. It's like a yeah. brick in my purse. It's probably why I'm totally crooked now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I started carrying that around with me. And that was the first one that I just started to look at the world through in a more intentional way. Before that, I used to shoot like almost exclusively on disposable cameras for years. I'm very stubborn. And as I was saying, I'm We're not just a coming back in China. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I like I yeah, I had disposable cameras for years. When I went to university for photography and my portfolio that I got into my program with was almost exclusively from disposable cameras, which is so pretentious <laughs> of a time, but whatever. Yeah. So when did you start kind of realized this love for photography was it something that um a light bulb moment kind of thing no it's like a dimmer switch it was like a slow fade in (laughs) i um started taking pictures i guess when i was in high school and i had an art teacher when i was in high school who was really cool who i just genuinely got along with and admired and who was really supportive and she was the first person who you know, started being like, you know, these are actually good. <laughs> like, These are actually good pictures because I would just take lots of photos of my friends. And it's funny because it, I shoot in a similar way now than I did then. But I had been on a very academic track. And so I don't think it's something that I fully considered as an option for myself. I thought I was going to go into like politics or be a lawyer or something. Oh, which is, wow. Yeah, totally different path. Um, what interests you then about politics? And I still love politics. Yeah, yeah I, I love politics. Yeah. Um and what I, do you I love like, about it? I'm I don't know, I'm, curious. I really am like somebody who's obsessed with justice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I really, in, in a very basic way. My mom has said this since I was a little kid. Like I just get so outraged when I think something is wrong, which I think is also very much the Scorpio in me. Like I really just believe in doing right <laughs> by people and things. And so I don't know, I, I always thought that would be more my direction. And I went to McGill for my first year of university. And then through that, just started kind of realizing that it wasn't, what I wanted. And I became aware of Concordia, which was elsewhere in the city and that did have a fine art program, which Miguel didn't have. And I saw, you know, that photography was an option and it it just wasn't something that had really been on my radar as something I could legitimately mm-hmm. pursue. And then finally, I just decided to kind of switch paths after my first year of university and, and changed over. And I'm very glad I did. <laughs> Thank you. 
I had a brief moment too after I graduated from my undergrad. I was just feeling a little kind of lost and I was like, what do I want to do? Like I want some new chapter and I don't know what it is. And I ended up actually like applying to Parsons in New York and getting into a master's in fashion history oh. <laughs> program. That I was like, chart. I'm going to be a fashion historian and I'm going to work at the Met collection of like beautiful costumes and that didn't end up going, but cannot afford that. It was insane. I yeah. Bet. Yeah. But just all those things that you're like, I don't know, maybe I'm going to be this. Maybe I'm going to be that. My friends make fun of me and Matt especially makes fun of me. I feel like I have a new scheme every 12 well, we hours. We don't know about Matt. Is oh, that- Matt is my partner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a new scheme like every 12 hours of what I'm going to do next. Same. Yeah. Do yeah. You? <laughs> so how do you kind of negotiate that then? Because being constantly thinking about the next project, constantly have ideas pop up in your head. Yeah. But at the same time, to be grounded, have to be realistic. How do you balance that too? Not Anytime. well. Yeah, I don't no. know. <laughs> Not in a good way, probably. I'm obsessive that way. Mm. I don't know. I don't know where that comes from fully. And I don't think I do have a good balance for it. I bore really easily. And I'm a huge hedonist. Like I'm fully a believer in the importance of pleasure in all forms. That's probably come from Scorpion. That's definitely very Scorpion for sure. But so I don't, I don't like to get bored and I don't like to not enjoy myself. And so if I find that I'm in a situation where I'm bored or I'm not enjoying it, I immediately seek to change it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won't let myself stay there very long. But I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to balance that. I feel like I just do constantly I have a million plans. But that's probably makes sense that. Um, you had a few projects. Right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> but you know what? So much of the pleasure of that for me, I think, is just actually making the plan mm-hmm. and just having a conversation about it. And then sometimes that's all it needs to be. <laughs> like sometimes it doesn't actually need to be fulfilled for it to be great. It's just thinking about being like, oh, this is a great app idea was what I went down this road like a couple of years ago. It's like, I'm going to make an app. I have this idea. It's perfect. And it's like, it probably is a good idea. You know, probably could be something, but I don't want to actually do that. You know, so funny because I was listening to, I think, a podcast or a TED talk. I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, she, I think she's a psychologist. So it's scientifically proven that when you talk about something and then you, or you tell people about it, mm-hmm. actually your mind actually has been there. Yeah. So you have physically has lived there. Your mind has lived there already, has experienced it. So sometimes it don't happen. It doesn't need to happen yeah. because you've already been there, done that. So, well, that's, and that's how it feels. That's yeah, really same. interesting that it is real for other people, not just me. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> and how did you develop your artistic aesthetic? Because I think now when you see a photo, I think that's a lot, a lot of artists, whatever, mm. it's in different kind of mediums and forms really some of them are struggling to find that artistic identity and then when you see a photo that's that's very ardent so <laughs> how did you get there you think I don't think it was ever an intentional thing or an intentional process I think my aesthetic has always been pretty consistent from the time I was pretty small and very intuitive like just I know what I like and I like what I like and it it carries through I think you know, into certainly my photography, but also what I'm drawn to in terms of the books I read, in terms of the clothes I wear, in terms of what I like my home to look like. I think that's a kind of a consistent way of being and appreciating that comes through. How did you develop that intuition, though? Honestly, I probably just inherited it from my mom. My mom and I are kind of twins. Like, we're really close. I'm an only child. Yeah, I remember a picture you posted on Facebook, yeah. uh, Instagram. Well, I was physically, like, oh too. My God. Yeah, physically, for sure. Yeah. But also, I mean, we're very, very close. Like, she's my best friend. And we just tend to agree on most things and also just have the exact same taste. 
So she's the only person that like we like everything the same. So which is very convenient, but probably from her, I guess, realistically, is probably why I've had a pretty consistent aesthetic mm-hmm. since I was little is because so does she. Right. <laughs> Always been around her. Realistically. Yeah. 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 So let's go chronologically um, yeah. after you graduated and then mm-hmm. you didn't know what you wanted to do. And uh, what happened after? After that, I um, I moved to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you did move to New York? I did. Oh. Yeah, I moved to New York when I was 23. And I was there for a little over a year. Um, and that was always something I'd wanted, was I'd always wanted to live there. And so I was able to move with my partner at the time, um, who got a job there. And so we were in a good situation. He mm-hmm. had kind of a steady boots on the ground and I didn't. And so that balanced out, which was helpful. I lived there, which was wonderful and hugely expansive for me as a photographer, as a person, as a young adult, yeah. everything. And then after that, I moved back to Toronto, but I really didn't want to be in Toronto. And so I basically made it a mission to be here as little as possible. And so I was really lucky because I was able to, my family lives in the city and so I was living with family, so I wasn't paying rent. And so I would just work and then spend every dollar I had going somewhere. Mm. And I would travel all the time, which was a hugely fortunate position to be in, but I just didn't want to be still and I didn't want to be here because it felt like regressing. I had been so excited to move forward and to move to New York that being back in Toronto just felt like I was moving backwards in a way that made me feel horrible. And so if I was moving everywhere else instead and just never really here, I could live with that. Mm-hmm. And I think I was – I just wasn't ready to face some Do you big think that changes. was part of like the way of you escaping from the reality? Totally. Totally. That was a big transition period. I really view that as like a chapter marker in my life. Like that until that point, it had been one chapter. And then that time when I left New York and came back to Toronto and started, you know, I think it was around when I was like turning 25. That was a big change in my life. And in terms of me growing up, I did a lot of growing up in a short period of time. Mm. What prompted the growing up? The relationship I'd been in ended and I'd been with that person since I was very young for many years. And I think I just felt this need to expand. Like I just felt this like bloom was happening inside me that I couldn't deny and that I wanted to lean into. And so that for me, I just wanted to be everywhere and do everything and see everything. And my rule was say yes to everything. And so I just wanted to have every experience. And Isn't that like a movie about it? What's that Is movie? there? Yes, that's a, like a comedy or something. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, I yeah, don't know yeah. it. Like, almost like a romantic comedy. But well, I don't know. it was like a romantic comedy for a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was kind of funny. Like, yeah, it's definitely a very interesting movie. Yeah. yeah. So tell me, what kind of yes did you say to? Oh, I mean, all sorts of stuff. For me, it was like, say yes to every weird opportunity, say yes to every job, say yes to every date, say yes to every travel and everything. Just like say yes to, you know, everything you're invited to. Because I get into, I'm a homebody by nature. Like I'm somebody who I think presents extroverted, but I'm, I'm not at heart and it exhausts me sometimes Mm -hmm. and so it took a lot for me like I don't I don't go to a lot of stuff I get worn out and so it was a big deal for a couple years to just be like no I'm if you invite me to your party I'm gonna go (laughs) I'm gonna (laughs) I'm gonna actually show up but it was great yeah that takes a lot of like courage eh? it was fun I mean I also was just feeling so free and it's what I wanted was just to go kind of wherever the wind blew me for a couple years and take advantage of the fact that I was young and I had no responsibilities and I didn't have anybody waiting for me and that was a really 
powerful, huge time of growth. And it led to some amazing lasting things that are still in my life and like friendships and powerful collaborations. And, you know, I met a very close friend of mine, one of my best friends, Kelly, who lives outside of Austin in Texas, because she was a guest at a wedding that I was photographing that year. And we started kind of chatting and she basically was like, where do you live? And at that time, I literally had everything I owned from New York in the back of my friend's car, who then I was going to photograph this wedding in upstate New York. And then she was going to drop me off in this small town that was four hours from my other friend who lived in eastern Ontario, who's going to come get me from this pizza parlor where I was waiting with all of my belongings around me for eight hours in the changeover (laughs) to then drive back to eventually head back to Toronto. But so she saw it. She was like, what are you doing? Like, you're photographing this wedding and do you have a home? (laughs) Like, what's happening? And so we got to chatting and she was like, well, we have like a basically a ranch and we have a lot of space and you should just come stay with us. And we'd only chatted a couple times and didn't really know each other. But I was like, well, I guess I'd better say yes. Okay, I'll come stay with you. And so I went and we spent 10 days together and just became like immediate soul sisters. And it's still a friendship that's so valuable. And for me, that also opened up this whole part of the world that now is so important to me. Mm. That was my first time going to Texas. And that was you know, a hugely transformative, eye-opening experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With projects, obviously, they come up like differently at your different mm-hmm. life stage. So what kind of ideas you decided to make it happen to reality? And what kind of ideas you decided maybe I just keep it in, <laughs> <laughs> um, in my mind and brew in my mind, that's it. I guess it's more just empowering sometimes to keep that in mind and to remember that there are so many different things that you can do. And you don't have to pick just one thing. I don't know. I, I, I try to just keep that in mind. And I think maybe sometimes just coming up with different ideas is just refreshing. Even just that process of, you know, scheming something up and imagining how you would make it reality and going through that mental legwork just to remind myself maybe that the world is open and I'm I'm not just on one path if I don't want to be on that path anymore. Mm. That's very freeing. eh? It's really freeing. Yeah. It's really free and really empowering. And that does tie back to the quote that your mom shared with Mm -hmm. you. Oh, deeply. I mean, she is the ultimate schemer. She like takes it to a whole other dimension. She and my stepdad are wild. Yeah, they're full of wild ideas. They're amazing. Yeah. When we kind of have to choose that path and then we forced to stay on that path mm-hmm. and then to some sort of some form some sort of identity because oh i'm on this path this is me yeah and it's sometimes tangle creativity why well, i, I yeah. hate that it, it makes me so frustrated i mean when you meet somebody how often like most times if you meet somebody at a party or an event or something it's like okay what's your name what do you do oh yeah how weird is that that yeah. we as humans require other people to have this word yeah. to categorize i know You're like well i'm a photographer you know i'm a i'm a lawyer i'm a doctor whatever like who cares yeah. you know it's what I, you do for money I, <laughs> it's so I, weird i actually started i actually started to uh, um shift that and asked different question before I try I, really hard to before avoid I did ask that because that kind of almost give you an idea who this person and you make pre-assumption about this person totally. automatically so now I don't do that it's again meeting a stranger so now I asked them what's your story oh <laughs> sometimes people wow, get a little that's bit a big question sometimes people get like caught off guard and they're like Oh, because um, that's still not very common. People still yeah. ask, what do you do? And then, like, you know, what's your job? Well, and do you find that if you say what's your story, do people usually just come back with what they do for a living anyways? 
Um, some people still yeah. do. Some, yeah, I guess that kind of still form that sort of identity.、Mm-hmm. But I think some people they kind of start thinking about it.、Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I start asking that, and then I think down the road there's an even better question we can ask.、Yeah. But at this point, that's the question I ask people when I meet、wow. them. As it was your story, it's a big. I don't even know what I would say if somebody asked me that who I just met. That's. That's a big question. That's really、yeah. challenging. That's interesting. <laughs> you kind of are doing multiple things right now,、mm-hmm. helping your mom with a project. I、mm-hmm. want you to share with us, and also you also just finished a renovation. Yeah. Of,、um, would you call it a cottage? What would you yeah, call it? Yeah, it's a cottage. Okay, tell us more about、uh, <laughs> projects on the go.、Uh, I like. I love decor and I love renovation, and I've always been drawn to that. And I've wanted to. Do a project of my own along those lines for a long time, and obviously, you know, Toronto is what like the fourth most expensive city in the world or something now for real estate. Oh, really?、So、I think it's something like that. It's up really high. I'm not surprised. Yeah, and so buying a first home in Toronto, especially as an artist, is like so not happening anytime soon, ever, baby. And so I started looking further afield, and we ended up finding this. Really cute, just little bungalow in tiny Ontario, which is the most absurd name for a place, but it's really what it's called. Oh, what it the says name the is called Tiny yes, Ontario. It's tiny, comma Ontario. Like that's the name、wow. of the town. It's the best.、Um, but we found this little bungalow that we could actually afford and that had potential, and it was the funnest thing ever to just camp out up there. Matt, my partner Matt, and you know our good friend Leon. Did ninety nine point nine percent of the work themselves, you know. And we were up there just painting and knocking down walls and playing around with it and rewiring light fixtures. I was obsessed with Kijiji and would drive on a moment's notice across town or into the suburbs to go get something I found. Almost everything is from Kijiji in that house. But it's been Kijiji should sponsor you. Kijiji should sponsor Kijiji. <laughs> Kijiji, if you're listening, Kijiji. She's a Kijiji master. Yeah, I am. There's so、master. many stuff in this. House right now know, from Kijiji, I、really、right? Do love Kijiji, <laughs> which is a great way to recycle and yeah, then, yeah, to give give some old furniture a new life.、I、totally believe in that. Totally eco friendly.、Mm. It's been such an amazing experience. It's really cool because it's another form of creative expression, I think, and it's been so fun to play with that in terms of I really believe in the power of a space to tell a story, and I think that it should tell a story, or it always does, but it should be a story that you like.、Mm-hmm. Is maybe a better way of saying it. Hey, so finally, <laughs> are you ready for the rapid fire? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> It's gonna be fun. Okay. So, if you could choose to be born in any city in the world in your next life, which city would you pick? Austin, Texas.、Uh, if you could choose to be a person for a day, who would you be? Of anybody? Anybody? Oh my god, Sasha, that's hard. <laughs> <laughs> if I could be a person for a day. Oh, I can't answer that. Really? I, so- I thought that would be an easy question. No. For you. Do you have a person that you would be like automatically? You know, locked、yeah. and loaded. Who? Yeah, Oprah. Oh, I choose Oprah too. <laughs> <laughs> No, I can totally be Oprah. She is a woman with so much wisdom. Oh、I、my just god! Be, be her for a day and just absorb all the wisdom she has internally,、yes. and then write it all down. <laughs> Maybe I'll be Stedman or Gail. Who? Who's、her、Gail? partner and best friend. Oh, yeah. Stedman's her like her man. <laughs> um, maybe is, I could be yeah, Stedman yeah. and then I could just like bask in Oprah's glow and ask her a million questions, but not have myself have to answer them. I could just write everything down. Oh wow! 
That's an interesting one. Yeah. He is powerful. Like, he willing to be this man behind the scene. Oh, yeah. Supporting so her. So cool. I want to be a fly on the wall in that relationship for sure. Yeah. Totally. This is kind of related question. If you can have dinner with one person, mm. past or present. Past or present, have dinner with one person. Maybe Georgia O'Keefe. Mm. Love her. At her house, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's a package. Please use three or less words to describe the following things and then that come to your mind. Uh, love. Essential. Everything. All. Photography. Um, telling a story. Style. Intuitive. Timeless. Personal. Space. Uh, space. Um, a collection of treasures. I guess that's four words, but I think it should be that. Okay. I if we're talking you. about interior space, I mean, there's so many different ways of looking at space. But, yeah. Are we talking about like outer space? <laughs> interior space? We were just talking about this like... Um, exactly. I'm like aliens, Roswell. I know. Autopsies. Oh my God. <laughs> now we're getting really deep. Yeah, exactly. So memories. Um, inescapable. Guiding. Powerful. Oh, that's beautiful. Aging. I think you're touching upon a little bit. Inescapable, <laughs> guiding, powerful. Oh, wow. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, double. Can you write uh, verbally a love letter to your future self? Could be that 80-year-old Arden. Oh, my gosh. Could be five years down the road, whatever what you would see I or feel. A love letter to them. To you. To, to me. The future you. I don't know what her experience was been. I guess I can say that I hope that I can express wishes for her then, for that future self. I would wish that she feels fulfilled, that she feels like she has agency in the state that she's in, that she feels surrounded by love and supported and, and seen by people around her. Um, and I would wish that she has had a big happy exciting life that she feels proud of looking back on it at that point um and that she has some good juicy little secrets still <laughs> your scorpion side yeah that's still the, yeah it's still like ultimate scorp yeah <laughs> sex death lust power obsession yeah. <laughs> um what are you currently seeking what am i seeking i am seeking balance mm-hmm. between what life's life and work between rest and play and work. And pleasure. And pleasure. Mm. Pleasure and work. Absolutely. Okay. So now it's recommendations from some local jams. I oh. bet you would know a lot. Recommendations are just of anything? Anything. Books you're reading or oh. music you're listening to. Oh my gosh. You're currently so into my favorite right now. Thing films. To talk about. Films. Oh, ultimate films. You know what? I don't actually watch. Well, older films, yes. Yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. right now anything. there are no good movies. Everything's just Marvel. Everything that is on television. Yeah. Um. But of all time, uh, favorite books, I love anything by Sam Shepard, um, more so like short stories and plays. Uh, but he is my absolute favorite of all time author. I also love movies that he's in. He was also an actor. Um, probably my favorite movie of all time that I don't even know if it fully holds up anymore. But the thing that always comes to mind for that, at least because it once was so deeply formative was the Virgin Suicides. 
that oh, I never really yeah oh you have to see it oh yeah I like I don't even think as an adult it still means as much to me but I saw that when I was 13 and that just was totally Blue a light bulb moment mm. that was just the first time that I was like oh that is yeah. me that is how I feel that's how I look that's how I see things that's how I sound that's everything like the music, the look of it, everything about that just meant so much to me mm-hmm. for for a long time um, in formative years. So that's a big one. Um, uh, books, music. I mean, I like I like old kind of outlaw country music is my favorite. So I like all those guys, and then I like the modern guys who are doing it in a cool way and kind of referencing those guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's my favorite music wise. What um, was the one you're playing? I was playing at various points when we were shooting. I was playing um, an album by Emmylou Harris called Wrecking Ball that I kind of grew up on that I just think is the most beautiful thing ever. And playing uh, Cowboy Junkies, the Trinity Sessions. It was recorded in Toronto, also kind of 90s. And then Modern I was playing was Margot Price, who I adore, who's a kind of newer Nashville badass, kind of like a outlaw Dolly Parton. She's very cool. Yeah. Um. What kinds of local jams do you recommend? Could be restaurant, could be Ooh. anything that you like. Oh, okay. It's, it's I'm kind of being generous right now to share this with you guys. Okay, well, I mean, I feel like so many of my friends are business owners, so I can, mm. I mean, definitely in terms of stores, like Love Likely General, my dear friend Burak, Love Easy Tiger and Ease with Zai are amazing. Uh, Horses is my favorite yeah. beautiful baby forever. Um, love them, love their shop. Love Fortnite has an amazing shop now. Um, I, I do try to wear almost exclusively either vintage or independent designers. Um, and I really believe in that as a value that's important. Um, so definitely we're so lucky in Toronto. We have such amazing talent in this city and so many really cool places to shop and eat and explore and beautiful brands. What else? Food-wise, like my favorite restaurants in the city. I think my favorite place right now is La Swan. Oh, I heard about it. It's so perfect. What kind of food did they have? It's like a French diner. Oh. It's just there is something about going there at like 7 o'clock on a weeknight and sitting at the bar and having a really good icy cold glass of wine and like a plate of French fries or green beans. Oh. That is just the actual best. (laughs) Like it's just so enjoyable and it feels so good yeah 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 so that's yeah that's my favorite right now i think perfect yeah that's it Uh, all right that's a wrap thank you so much for tuning in if you haven't done so what did i say in the beginning of the episode please head to apple podcast and to leave us review or comment um, really appreciate that in advance. And uh, again, we are also available now on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitchers, um, and pretty much any podcast app you're into. If you are as nosy as I am, you can also head to our website, ideasecrets.com, to take a closer look at these women's living spaces. All right, see you in a month. Until then, keep seeking. Keep seeking.